Welcome to the Reminders of Grace podcast. The Reminders of Grace podcast exists to provide a reference for truth, promote a refocus on the gospel, and provoke a profound reminder of grace for our lives today. I am your host, my name is Derek, and I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for joining us here on the Reminders of Grace podcast. My sincerest apologies if you are the person who gets your bi-weekly fix of this show on Mondays. I am sorry that this one has come out later than traditionally scheduled. It's been a busy couple of weeks with work and some travel. However, that in and of itself is not the only reason for the delay, as that has been the case on multiple occasions in the past. However, in this particular instance, a lot of time and serious uh, self-reflection and most importantly prayer has gone into preparing this episode. And I resigned last week at my normal office time to prepare for the episodes that I just wasn't going to be ready and it wouldn't be ready in the normal time frame expected. I hope you can forgive me and still take this journey with me on this episode and remind ourselves of the grace that we've been given and the grace we need to give. This episode might be heavy. This is your parental warning. This is your spoiler alert. This is your Interpol cautioning. This episode might be a lot. It may be something that emotionally you might find particularly difficult right now, and that is more than okay. This may also be something that you need to hear that maybe you didn't even know you needed. Part of the care taken in preparing this is understanding that whoever might listen could be anywhere in that spectrum. This is coming from a place of love, a place of care, a place of grace, and a place of faith, but also a place of necessity. So let's spend these next few moments talking about the subject of finding triumph in tragedy. People that are masters of their craft say... Work from what you know. And so, while I'm in no way a master of this craft, or any craft for that matter, I will work from what I know. And if you know me, if you know my story, you know that I know tragedy. That's not a badge of honor, it's not a weird flex, it's just a reality of my story. And it's a reality that I don't for a second wish were different, even if I often wish it didn't hurt. So where do we start? Here's how we'll walk through this. We'll ask the question, why? We'll ask the question, how? And we'll ask the question, now what? So why? Why does tragedy even exist? Well, we live in a world that we don't have to look extensively to find evidence of the fact that it's broken and messed up. We can chalk it up to politics, to injustice, to failed education, to greed, but we'd be severely failing to admit that the world is broken because we are broken. We are sinners. Because the first man and woman sinned, we have a sin nature passed down to us. What that means is that apart from a holy God, we are always going to miss his mark of perfection. Always. 
when Adam and Eve sinned, it was a cataclysmic event that would have lasting implications on each and every one of us. Because they did something that God specifically told them not to do, there was a curse. And not like an ethereal or mystical curse like is often portrayed. It's a real curse that would touch everything. Pain, sickness, turmoil, and death became a very real and very tragic thing for mankind to experience. Unless we place all the blame on them for passing down this nature to us, we also choose to miss that mark of perfection. Each and every one of us chooses to sin So we're also responsible for the existence of pain, sickness, turmoil, and death. And I'm careful to say the existence of because I don't want you to think that I'm implying that when sickness happens, it's because of something we did wrong. And we'll get into that in a few moments. But the fact that those things exist in our world is because of sin. This is your reference for truth. This is not some weird thing that I came up with. This is a very real truth described in God's written revelation of himself. So why? The question that often gets posed is why would a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? Tell me you haven't heard this. Tell me you haven't thought this. Tell me you haven't been intrigued by this question It is a decent question. All the cards on the table, it's a decent question. But let's just clear the air right here and right now, because we have already established that we miss God's mark of perfection by nature and by choice. And what God definitively declares is that there are no good people. The flaw with the question is within the question. It presumes that there are good people people. Now, before we throw up our hands in frustration, thinking that, well, I don't believe that you're a good person, let me remind you, I never said that you were or you weren't. And even if I did, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what God says. And what God says is that because of our failure to reach his mark of perfection, we are not good people. See, what happens is we think that because we are comparatively good to other people, to our neighbors, to our wild friends, to our extended families, to that other political party, that we are okay. And what God says plainly is that there is not a just or a right person on the earth, one that does good and doesn't sin. What God says plainly is that there is none that does good, no, not one. This doesn't mean that you didn't do something nice today. What it means is that if God is good, and he is, and we have failed to meet, to meet his standard, which we have, then we are not good and cannot be good, hear me, apart from him. So now the question is this. Why would a loving God allow bad things to happen? And what we've done when we pose this question is very simply this, is we have placed an infinite God into a finite box. And we say, why don't you fit? You ever play that game, Perfection? 
the one with the 25 distinctly different shapes, and you race to see if you can get all of them back in their respective places before the timer runs out and it upturns the playing surface. You ever try to fit the X in the square space? Or the square in the star space? It doesn't work, does it? Because it doesn't fit. And what we do with God in the context of this question is the same. We say, God, if you loved us, nothing bad would ever happen. God, if you really are love, then we would never feel pain or hurt. We would never lose anyone. God, if you really loved me, cancer would have never touched my family. God, if you really loved me, my parents would still be here today. And what we've done is we've said, God, you must not be who you say you are because you don't fit in the place I tell you to fit. And in that scenario, answer this question to yourself. In that scenario, who really is God? Who really is in charge? Is it God or is it me? Can I tell you this? It's not beyond comprehension to think those questions. And it certainly does nothing to diminish who you are. We want the control. We want the answers. We want all of them up front right now, and they better be good. But that's not how God works. If he did, then we would be God. And that's not a title that he's willing to share. Nor should he. So the question, I think, can be better posed this way. Why does a God allow anything to happen. Ready? Because he's God. Because he is in control, because he is in charge, because he is sovereign. The songwriter says he has no rival, he has no equal, now and forever he reigns. So when we experience in this life what we would perceive as bad things, and we have to ask, why God? Why? The answer is, I don't know, but he does. And probably more than anything else in this world that we struggle with is that. With the fact that he is above it and he knows that we are in it and we don't. That he is above it and he knows that we are in it and we don't. That's such a struggle for us. You're not crazy for not understanding. You're not insane for wanting to know more. And you're not evil for wishing it wasn't this way. You know what you are? Human. You're human. How? How has this touched me? This is me speaking from what I know. This is not meant to be a comparison to what you've faced or are currently facing. This is not a resume to put side by side. It's a part of what has shaped me into who I am. When I was in the second grade, my brother that I am closest to in age and grew up with primarily was diagnosed with a brain tumor. It was rough to walk through that, mainly because I I didn't really get what was going on. I just knew something bad had happened and it was serious. And he was able to have the brain tumor removed and I was able to have my brother back. And that's all I really could wrap my mind around at the time. But as I got older, things kept happening in our family. 
For the next 18 to 20 years, I would watch my father's health rise and fall constantly, yet somehow in a steady decline. A myriad of health concerns with an equal amount of hospital visits. The second day of my senior year of high school, we discovered that my mom had a brain tumor. And so now in the midst of that constant fear of losing my father, I also had this new added fear of losing my mom. She would be in and out of the hospital for the next seven years before the cancer ultimately would run its course. And then just about a year later, my father's health had fallen for the last time, and there would be no more rise. And I was left to pick up the pieces of a life in which I seriously could not remember a time when sickness and pain and hurt had not been a present reality. We mentioned this earlier, but I'm not crazy for not understanding. I'm not insane for wanting to know more. I'm not evil for wishing every birthday and Mother's and Father's Day didn't hurt a little. Now, this isn't a self-aggrandizing declaration. I'm not trying to justify how I feel. I'm saying these are the way they are because I'm human. And so now what? Now what? Where do we go from here? And I want to tell you a story. A man that lived a long, long time ago was super wealthy. He would have been considered one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time. He lived in an agricultural time, and so he had livestock and farms and property that he needed to take care of. So he had 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 1,000 oxen, and 500 donkeys. No one anywhere remotely near him could compare. He was not a perfect man, but he did what he could to live a good life. You couldn't say anything negative about him. No scandals, no hidden secrets, no skeletons in his closet. For the sake of this story, he was a good man, a faithful husband, and a diligent father to ten children. One day, God says to an enemy, Have you considered this man? There's no one like him on the earth. The enemy replies to God, that, well, he only does right because you've blessed him with money and possessions and all of these good things. So he's only this way because you're good to him. God says, okay, take everything from him, but don't touch him. And in one day, not over the course of a few years, in one single 24-hour period, this man had a 1,000 oxen and 500 donkeys stolen from him, and only one worker survived to tell him about it. Then on the exact same day, 7,000 sheep were incinerated and only one worker survived to tell him about it. Same day, 3,000 camels were stolen from him and only one worker survived to tell him about it. And friends, the sun hadn't even gone down yet and something else happened. Ten children in one home having a party. A wind blew, very similar to a tornado, and it crushed the home, and in an instant, they all were gone. And one worker survived to tell him about it. That was all just one day. Sometime later, this enemy comes back to God, and, and God says to him, Have you considered this man? That there is still no one like him on the earth. 
And the enemy of God replies, he only does right because you've done nothing to his person. He lost all of his possessions. Yes. He lost all of his children. Yes. But if you were to allow something painful to happen to his body, to his person, it would be different. And God says, okay, do it, but don't kill him. And in one day, the man's health is taken from him. And from a place of deep soul crushing anguish in his heart and in his body, he responds in a way that is going to be the basis for the section of now what? Because after losing everything in a single day, from deep emotional and mental despair, he falls to the ground and he worships God. He says, I came into this world with nothing, and when I die, it'll be the same. The Lord has given, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And the day comes sometime later when his health is stripped away. And he says, should we accept the good from God and not accept the adversity? Should we only take good things from God and not accept the things that are difficult for us as well? And if you're not familiar with this story, I did not make it up. It is not a fiction story. The man's name is Job. The enemy is the devil himself, and God reprises his role as God, so that's pretty consistent. And over the next 40 chapters, Job will have this struggle, this very real struggle that we would, that we could, and that we sometimes do face when we've experienced suffering or a tragedy. While his initial response was that of worship and focus towards God, he's human, and it quickly turned to himself. And I get it. I mean, from a human standpoint, can you blame him? He wished he had never been born. He wished that it didn't hurt so bad. He wished that it would just be over and done with. He was even accused of having done something wrong to deserve it. It was messy. Even with friends that came and were supposed to be supportive. It just got ugly. He'd have good days and bad days, just like any of us would. But then God speaks. And he reminds Job that it wasn't about him. He says, Job, it's not about you. He reminds his friends that it's not about something wrong that he had done. And God starts speaking and over and over and over again, he challenges Job to really consider who God is, to really consider how insignificant Job is in comparison to him. And Job sits there dumbfounded and silent as God spouts off one incredible thing after another that he has done, that he knows that he is. And now Job is faced with the reality that maybe, just maybe, this suffering, this tragedy, though incredibly painful, and very real, was a part of something infinitely greater. Finding triumph in tragic circumstances is not about pretending like everything is fine. I've been there. It does not work. Suffering hurts. But when we hurt, that hurt is supposed to drive us to the one that can help us. When God allows suffering or tragedy in our lives, the triumph is found in running towards him. 
when you hear the C word, when you're told, there's nothing more than we can do. When you learn that they're really gone, that hurt doesn't disappear. It doesn't just automatically go away. It's going to take time. It's going to take your trust. And it's going to test you. You'll undoubtedly have good days and bad days. And guess what? Your bad days might even far outnumber the good ones. But what these times are designed to do is one, they are designed to refocus our awe of him. When we are in awe of God, when we are amazed at, when we are in wonder of, when we are enthralled by God, when we are in awe of God, of who he is, whether he gives to us or he takes away from us, our response should be to fall and worship. So we need to refocus our awe of him. And we also, these things are designed to remind us of his grace. When we realize that every single thing we have, not most things, not a lot of things, but every single thing that we have is something that God gave us out of his unmerited, unearned, and undeserved kindness and favor. That will help us find triumph in the tragedy. And what this is designed to do also is to reveal the heart of our devotion. You know, when times get hard in anything in life, and we want to give up and walk away. It reveals in that moment when those times are hard, when it's difficult, when it hurts, when we're tired, when we really want to just give up and walk away, it reveals how devoted we are to whatever that thing is. And so it is with suffering. When suffering comes in our lives, it reveals the heart of our devotion to Jesus. Are we really following him because things are good? Or are we only willing to worship him when it's easy? Hear me carefully now. This right here, it isn't about does it hurt. It's about will you stay? Will you stay? I don't know what you might be going through what you may go through in the future, or what you've just come out of. And for the sake of this episode, I don't need to know. But we've all been there. And if you find yourself having not so much experienced suffering, take a moment to thank God for his grace in giving. But if he takes, remind yourself that his grace is still the same. This episode was not approached lightly. It was, in a very real way, agonized over and analytically debated in the recesses of my mind for quite some time. And even now, I'm sure there's something I missed or something I left wanting. The heart behind this was to share not how amazing I am or how amazing you can be despite all that happens. The heart behind this is when it hurts... The heart behind this is that when it hurts, it's meant to drive us to the one that can help. Tragedy, like failure, is an event. It is not who you are. It'll help shape us, yes, but it's not you. 
you are not defined by the hurt that you have experienced or what you've lost. Though I'm sure it's important, it is not who you are. And I'll close with this. A man named Paul, who suffered many physical and emotional things for the sake of telling people about Jesus, was used by God to write this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. What this means is that even though it hurts now, it's nothing compared to the infinite glory that we'll see face to face in the presence of Jesus. It pales in comparison and it's not even worthy to be in the same conversation. So it might hurt now, but it's not forever. Something much more incredible awaits if you are a follower of Jesus. But if you'd not consider yourself a follower of Jesus or a Christian, as you've listened, maybe you have questions. That's a good place to be. I want to encourage you to reach out, and in just a moment, I'll let you know some ways that you can do that. Know that this is a place where you will be loved and you'll find grace for wherever you are in life. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell me about it. There are a few ways you can connect with me by email at remindersofgracepodcast at gmail.com. That's reminders with an S of gracepodcast at gmail.com. In addition, you can find a link to my socials in the info section of this episode. Also, if you could please do me a favor and be sure to leave a review and then click on that subscribe or follow button wherever you engage with the podcast to be certain that you never miss an episode. And as you head into your week, as you navigate through your journey, as you face whatever you face or as you seek to live on mission, be reminded of his grace and know that no matter what, it is always, every single time, greater still.